Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Don Foster. He's the Global VP of Productivity and Evangelism at Commvault. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Commvault is actually really innovative and cool. But before we dive into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Cool. Yeah. So uh, believe it or not, um, while I may live in Dallas, Texas now, I grew up in central Illinois. Okay. So cool. in a little farming community right outside of Champaign-Urbana. Um, okay. And then uh, moved up closer to the Chicagoland area outside of Joliet in a town called Morris, Illinois, where I went to high school. Okay. Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? And then let's get into MIT later on. Yeah, sure. So actually, uh, that that's a fun story by itself. Um, so uh, I went to uh, Northwestern University. Uh, okay. You'll see if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you see I actually did not graduate. Yeah, I saw um, that. Yeah, I was one of those uh, Y2K kids uh, or Y2K professionals, right, that had been doing IT consulting on the side. Uh, and so um, I was at Northwestern University thinking that I wanted to be an attorney thinking that I wanted to be an attorney in IP law. And so I was doing a dual major of computer engineering uh, with an eye towards doing pre-law okay. uh, and going on to law school. Of course, the funny thing throughout this whole thing was as I was going to Northwestern University, uh, through some of my connections I had made in working and doing consulting work in high school, uh, I had actually met a, um, a gentleman that worked at Kirkland and Ellis, a law firm in downtown Chicago. Okay. And so I was doing side work for them, help desk work, networking work, et cetera. Uh, and that's sort of what got me lulled, you know, lured out of uh, uh, university uh, and started working in the IT side for uh, a uh, global offer. Interesting. Okay. And, and to be fair, at that time, it, there was like, it was such a like so many people did what you did right oh, yeah. and just like got into the yeah 1998 1999 it was uh there was a huge demand and if you if you were smart with technology and especially if you knew networking if you could code a little bit um yeah there was opportunity abound and galore for you sure so walk us through your career going to mit and then let's dive into how you got to Comdex or Commvault, sorry, and then let's dive into your different roles because you've done a ton of stuff with them. And I'm always fascinated with people's journeys, especially when they've been at a company for almost 20 years like you have. Yeah, it, it, the, the story is really interesting actually. So going back to being at that law firm, they hired me on full-time. Uh, I had worked for there for about four and a half years uh, before I went to Commvault. And, um, you know, bear in mind, I'm in my early 20s at this point working at this law firm, right? Coming out of mm -hmm. college, basically quitting school, going to work for a large, uh, large law firm in the IT space. Um, you know, I was living my best life at that point, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the projects, uh, you know, the joke is the the new guys or the new people in, in IT, the joke back then was, well, when there's someone new that shows up at a company, they always get two uh, two projects, printers, so all the network printers, and backups because they were the the joke was they were the two jobs that no one IT wanted to do. <laughs> so that's sort of where my uh, where my career started was basically you know helping to clean up if you remember all the Jet Direct HP laser printers and the cards you put in the printers and the print servers. Yeah, I got started there. Interesting. Uh, and of course it was easy. And then at that same time got started with backup. Um, we were a Legato networker shop well before EMC ever acquired them. Okay. Um, and so, the, you know, the thing I really liked about backup at that point was it touched everything, literally yeah. everything in the data center. So, 
Yeah, so uh, got to got to working with Legato, found all the issues and the problems that it just didn't do for the the firm, and I was told, hey, let's take a look at how we're doing backup and see if we can improve, especially coming out of uh, you know around the the 9/11 time, see if we can improve right. recovery scenarios. Um, and that's how I ran the Commvault. Uh, just started to look around. They were a, a new vendor, new to the space. Um, and, uh, I decided, you know, along with my, my boss at the time, we took a look at a couple of different vendors. Commvault was one of them and they really knocked our socks off even back then. Right. We're talking 2002 now. Yeah. Like very and, early. Yeah, exactly. And so we ended up actually doing a proof of concept with them. We ended up uh, buying the software. We rolled it out and, um, the rest is history kind of, as I started to really get to know the product and then also get to know some of the people because they were a small company then. Um, it was kind of exciting to get out of the data center and kind of onto the vendor side. And that's that's really how I found my way to Commvault. Got it. Okay. So what made you finally make the switch? And then let's cover your journey through your different roles up until what you're doing today, because you just had a, a promotion. Congrats on that, by the way. And and you. you guys are you guys have some of the biggest brands on the planet using the platform. Yep. Yeah. So I guess kind of uh, why I made the switch uh, or why I made the, the career change. And it's odd to think that it's almost been 20 years now that I've been here. Yeah. Uh, but 20 years ago, you know, before I went, before I was going to college, uh, I was already working and doing, I was already a, uh, you know, a certified Novell uh, engineer. I was doing Novell networking for small businesses. And uh, one of the things I loved about that was every day was a different, uh, different challenge, right? Right. The consulting company I worked with, uh, as they were kind of help, you know, helping me learn and kind of, you know, learn new skills, they would throw me in front of every challenge. And so that was fun. When, when you're going to a, uh, a, uh, organization and it's, you know, like a, working in it, sometimes it can get a little bit monotonous. Um, yeah. and what I really thought was cool, oh, cool. I'm, I'm going to have a chance to join a company. They want me to essentially be a, a bit of a consulting engineer, right? You know, a little bit of pre-sales, a little bit of post-sales, but every day was going to be different you know, trying to tackle different problems every, you know, every other day for a different, different customer, so to speak. So it was kind of like going into some, going back to something that I really enjoyed when I was younger. Um, and, uh, and then of course, when I got there, the role was exactly that it was, you know, Commvault was a small company, right. And, um, I, as a consulting engineer or a systems engineer, whatever you wanted to call us back then, um, we would talk to a client, go through a sales cycle. And then of course we would be the ones then helping do the implementation the week following. So you quickly learned that you didn't over oversell the products uh, and that you didn't uh, tell any uh, false truths, right? Uh, because you're going to have to implement, make sure that that solution truly, uh, truly lands home the next week. Interesting. Can we, can we pause for a second on that? I, I'm yeah. curious. I, I think what you just said is actually super important. The kind of over promise. And I also think um, just the reality of not selling so hard so can you elaborate on both of those things and why do you think those are so important yeah i mean so look as as technologists um and folks that would be whether you're the pre-sale side or consulting at the end of the day your integrity and i mean you, you you obviously have your own brand and your integrity is everything yeah um, and the last thing that that anybody wants to have is you know an upset customer especially when you are the one there showing them how you can help them solve these really difficult challenges um, and with a person like myself, I wear my passion on my sleeve, right? I really, I, I believe in the things that, uh, that Commvault has done and, will, and is continuing to do. Right. So the last thing I ever wanted to do was, and it was, and it's something I probably struggled with early on, right? Because uh, sometimes you can make software and technology do things it wasn't meant to do. And right. just because you can, doesn't mean you should, right? That's a, uh, 100%. a statement I've, I've come to live by, yeah. um, but it's important that you know, you're upfront and that when, you know, it's okay to say, no, we can't do that or no, it won't work that way. Um, and it's also, I, I find, uh, you know, having high integrity also means that when you're talking with customers, sometimes you jointly come to find solutions that you never really thought about because everyone has their own context or their own, you know, preconceived notions of what good is or how you would solve a problem. Right. And so sometimes having that clear, no, it doesn't work that way. And you start working together, you start to come up with some really interesting and innovative ways to solve the challenges that are in IT. And I think that goes outside of just our jobs in IT, but it's just an interesting way of, of uh, the, you know, things that I've learned in working with clients. And that look, if, if you're always at, of high integrity, 
then number one, you're going to at least help make sure you can meet each other's goals. But better, better yet than that, you're not going to have a client screaming at you that what you promised and the money they spent their money, their, they spent their hard-won money on isn't working. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's really why I think that's so important. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess before we dive into what exactly Commvault is, I'm, I'm curious, how do you manage your own internal roadmap compared to feature requests? Because, you know, when some of these big brands come calling and they say we have, I don't know, a hundred grand or a million bucks or whatever the number is to implement X features, sometimes it's very hard to say no, especially at the early days or even when you've been in business for a long period of time. Oh yeah. And this is something that our uh, chief product officer and uh, our CTO and I have run around and around in, in different roles and in, in trying to, to, to find that intricate balance, right? Because it is a balance. Um, we, one of the things that we always try and, 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 and I kind of view it as a sort of an, an important foundational thing when anytime you're talking about technology and software in general is we create the software for our customers, right? right. So at the end of the day, if there's a feature that we're creating and our customers don't see a way that it would be utilized or see its value, mm -hmm. then that feature probably isn't, while we might think it's important, it may or may not be something that are, you know, that, that is, that needs to be prioritized. Right. Uh, and I see this a lot where companies will talk about capabilities and features, but then they're never utilized because it's almost like it's technology looking for a problem yeah. versus a problem that's having technology created to truly solve it. Right interesting so you know the the it is a delicate balance because on one hand right you've got a lot of smart technologists that are driving a company like Commvault, and we have a, a vision and an understanding of the market we have a vision of you know where we see problems continuing to evolve as we see that market evolve and so we we want to develop towards that vision and sometimes that means creating capabilities or features or even products um, that maybe is ahead of its time for the marketplace and a challenge, but knowing full well that those things will come together. Um, one of the interesting things I like to highlight to customers about that Commvault has done in the past is we actually created some VM provisioning technology okay. that would allow us to automatically create virtual machines as a part of our software. Yeah, and of course, at the time, this is like 2012, everyone's like, why are you guys getting into VM provisioning? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, there's all these other companies that do that. It doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? Fast forward five years later, and now our ability to spin up and spin down compute workloads in the cloud and some of that provisioning technology is now, oh, some of the most differentiated and cool stuff, right, back in the, in the day for making it easy for customers to really kind of burst in the cloud, et cetera, for, for, for you know, disaster recovery routines, et cetera. So, it's interesting things like that where customers didn't ask for it, but it was part of a vision that we saw on how right. we wanted to help drive a you know fully sort of autonomous and and truly uh, uh, kind of orchestrated environment. Uh, but then also you need to talk with customers and understand, you know, hey, they have a real need for how they might do X or Y, and if it's not too big of a of a you know call it too big of a rock to lift within the, the technology the software that you have, then you you build that in. Uh, and then the other thing is, if you see a marketplace that's opening, uh, and this is where some of the SaaS and, and metallic, right, where there's a, a need, uh, and maybe there is a, a chance to catch that wave, then maybe you go out and you completely build a new product line. Uh, and those are just some of the things that you always need to balance across the organization on customer asks, the vision of where you think the market's going, and then where you see that next wave coming, because the last thing you want to be is disrupted by that wave. No, 100%. So... I want to dive deeper into what is Commvault today and, and how do your customers actually implement your technology? Sure. So Commvault today is a, essentially a data management platform. Uh, and what, what we mean by that is most, most folks know, know of us for backup. And it's one of okay. the many services, you know, data, uh, intelligent data services that we provide. Uh, but essentially, we're a data management platform that can deliver everything from enterprise backend recovery disaster recovery and the orchestration that comes together within that uh, all the way to help customers uh, better utilize uh, the cloud okay. um, as well as providing secure immutable environments and protecting against ransomware um, and and on top of that we also provide some of the sort of archival and e-discovery uh, and search capabilities across the platform as well okay um, so when we say it's a data management platform 
it, it really does cover all the different things that you might think you need to do when it comes to maintaining and managing the data throughout its life cycle. And then also ensuring that it's available for the business um, to continue operating, right? Right. Okay. Well, and I, I think like, obviously it, the problem that you guys are solving is only getting worse, right? Oh, yeah. And I think, well, we all read about companies getting hacked all the time, right? And so, and I think now is probably more challenging than ever because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is you potentially need data protection and data security and compliance and governance and um, and then kind of reporting around all that kind of at your physical offices or just office. And then obviously potentially at somebody's home. And then if they're working kind of remote from a coffee shop or, or wherever, is that fair to say, or, or or how does how do you guys see it like that? Yeah, I wouldn't say that you potentially. I say you do need. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah, because and and look, you just outlined the new data center, right? The data center is no longer four walls in a building or an office. Right. D data data is being created everywhere, um, and as we're seeing the importance of that data that's being created, whether it's on an end user's laptop. Um, all the way up to an executive's iPad, all the way to something that might be running in the cloud for a development team, it all has value back to the business. Right. And every single one of those points where data is being created or accessing company information is also part of the surface area or th you know the threat surface area for some form of attack, be it a ransomware, be it a hacking attempt, be it you know good people making you know bad decisions and making mistakes. Those are all areas where something can happen. Um, and you know a lot of a lot of folks have thought or previously have thought that oh well if i move things to the cloud the cloud automatically has the data protected and that's also not the case right so as you say you know data security data protection um you know all these different controls and governance etc they do that you need to have that as an organization so that you can understand exactly you know sort of what your what your uh, potential risk would be if you get hit by some form of a ransomware attack. Obviously, there's a number of different uh, um, uh, uh, legislative. Uh, um, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? I just blanked on the term. Oh, like like, like GDPR. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, the uh, different sets of uh, of uh, governance rules that you need to adhere to, and as businesses, you need to be able to report that back. But, but I guess the point here is, is that none of these things by themselves will solve or keep your, your organization safe. You need a, you need a great um, perimeter security plan. You also need an active security plan, but you also need a recovery plan. And in order for you to have a good recovery plan, you have to ensure that you're protecting all of your information all the way throughout, you know, across the across the enterprise from the edge to the cloud to the data center, wherever that data might live. And then the other key thing there too is. Look, you know, just because you have data protected, IT and business is still very complex. Right. You have to know what it takes to actually recover it as well. 100%, um, yeah. And so those are, those are some of the key things that Commvault helps customers do is not only do we make sure the data is protected and then store it and make it efficient and help you manage it in the cloud or at the edge, et cetera, but then we also help make sure that you can recover it when that, that point in time happens, when you get hit by ransomware, when there might be a hacking attempt, or if something, you know, hardware fails and you have to restore it to another location. Right. Okay. So I, I, this might be a really stupid question, but I, I think it needs covering in the sense that when I've talked to businesses that are looking at doing this, they're like, well, I'm already in the cloud. I'm using Google Drive or Dropbox or whatever, right? There's a million of them. So maybe before we dive a little bit deeper into how we get people get set up with what you guys do, how are you guys different than those solutions? Because I know you are, but how do you explain that to kind of non-technical people? Because do you know what I'm getting at there? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, look, um, if, uh, if you're running in the cloud, Google Cloud, Google Drive, OneDrive, all those sorts of things. And yes, yeah. you can back up your data, um, you know, to those, those, uh, those locations or synchronize it really is, is really how it functions. Right. And yes. I know it gives you versioning and, and a number of different uh, capabilities there as well. Um, and that's kind of from an end user perspective, but this also expands the enterprise. What really makes what Commvault does different is not only can we protect those sources. So OneDrive, Google Drive, Gmail, obviously, wow. obviously 65, et cetera. 
give you the versioning, the ability to search, the ability to actually understand and see exactly what information you have. Um, but then we also give you those immutable copies so that if something does happen like a ransomware attack or a malware attack and all that data gets encrypted, you can get yourself recovered back to before that happened uh, so that you're not sitting there with, with no information or, or forced to potentially pay a, a really expensive ransom with the hope that you might be able to get your data back, right? Right. So it's about not just doing that for the end user, but it's about making sure that the, the databases, you know, the infrastructure as a service, whether that be a VMware or a Microsoft Hyper-V or uh, some form of OpenStack um, uh, configuration, or even if it's just cloud virtual machines, ensuring those two are protected. Because at the end of the day, the cloud is just a separate set of infrastructure and infrastructure services um, that you know we as customers can, can leverage. Uh, in fact, we leverage it in our SaaS offering called Metallic, right? We're using Microsoft Azure to help drive that solution for customers. Right. But it also needs to be protected because it can be corrupted. Uh, granted, it can be you know it's being might be replicated to multiple locations. But when you when you realize that data corruption or having data be encrypted through a ransomware attack um, or even some deletion things that can happen that can still invalidate data and it can cause a business outage. And so that's why, you know, enterprise backup recovery is so important. Um, and more important, and on top of that, oftentimes for cyber insurance or for any form of governance, uh, you have to be able to prove that, you know, you're following and, and meeting the different guidelines, um, you know, that uh, either the insurance company or that the governing bodies, you know, require. And, right. and that's also another key part about what we can give back to customers is the simplicity of the report on how well they're performing against their goals. Okay. What do you mean by how, what, like, how, so what, what would be an example of a goal? And then how do I see whether I'm hitting that or not? Like, obviously it's a report, but what's in yeah. that report? So great question. So three simple ways to think about this, right? Am I protecting the maximum amount of my data estate? Ideally, you want that to be a hundred percent. But let's be honest, most organizations, um, you know, probably aren't protecting 100% of their data estate. There's always a laptop here or there or some application uh, or some development space or whatnot that's not being protected. And they probably have good reason for that, right? So right. what percentage of my data estate is being protected? And then for those different classifications of the data in that data estate, what are my SLAs? That SLA is recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives. Uh, and those are really the three things that that customers are always tracking. Am I protecting what I what I need to protect? Am I then classifying them in a way for performance, cost, et cetera, uh, and, and adjusting for risk based upon what the organization deems appropriate? And what I mean by that is, can I recover from 10 minutes ago or 24 hours ago? Right. right? The, the risk in that data or that risk to the business is you know proportional to the cost that it takes to have those more recent you know, recovery points, so to speak. Yep. And then more importantly, if something were to happen, can I recover back to that recovery point in a timely enough fashion that's also adjusted for that importance or risk, right? And right. so that's where recovery point and recovery time objectives come from. And so what customers really look at is, okay, yes, I'm successfully protecting my data estate at the level that we've stated as a part of our you know, business continuity plan, disaster recovery plan, whatever it might be. And then number two, we're also doing it at the, um, you know, the frequency that, that is required based upon classification to ensure that we can get back to a certain recovery time or recovery point and do it within a certain amount of time. And that's sort of how they can assess risk and showcase back how well you're meeting your, your stated goals for the business. And then of course, there's also reports that then highlight, um, you know, th there's things that might be, be uh, executing for longer term retention for different compliance routines, et cetera. There's also things that we can report off from that perspective as well. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So hypothetically, I have Kevin Co, for example, mm -hmm. and I come to Commvault and I want to implement everything you just talked about. How do I actually go about getting you guys into my company? Like walk us through that. I get it's different probably yep. depending on what I'm looking to do, but can you give us kind of a quick example? And then how long roughly does it take? Is it weeks? Is it months? Maybe walk us through that as well. I'm so glad you asked this question, right? Because this is part of the transformation that's occurring in our industry. Right. So Kevin, I would first say to you, it's like, okay, so your team, your IT team, I mean, do you want to continue managing the infrastructure that it takes to scale and drive backups and DR? And okay. if the answer there is, 
no, I'd kind of like to get out of the business of trying to manage all this infrastructure, then that's sort of the conversation that leads us towards, let's talk about how we can provide the level of backup and recovery, the, the level of um, sort of compliance and governance that you need across all of your data state systems and do it from a SaaS model. Okay. And what I mean by that is, instead of us necessarily installing software that you have to manage and maintain and you have to drive infrastructure for your typical IT world, right? Yeah. We're going to run this much like, like a salesforce.com or like a, uh, an office 365 for your email. And okay. we're going to go ahead and provide the infrastructure and all of that initial setup driven from the cloud. And we're going to help you drive and protect your systems on premises. So you can still bring storage for high speed recovery, right? Also your laptops, also your SaaS applications and manage it as a service. So this way you're only paying really for the users or the number of VMs, um, or maybe the number of, of applications that you have in your environment. And then we're basically helping you meet those specified SLAs and set, helping you set that up. So that way, when it comes time to actually execute your backups or execute on your, on your plan, well, A, it's already set up and, and defined. And really at that point, you're just trying to track for anomalies or for you know, the, uh, the, the items that aren't running successfully and working together with Commvault team to ensure that, okay, we've solved those anomalies and that everything's running at the spec that you would, that, that you would uh, require. Now, the time it would take to implement can be incredibly fast. In fact, you know, if you wanted to, and if anyone listening wants to, you can go to metallic.io, which is our, you know, which is Commvault's Metallic, which is our, our, our software as a service offering. You can actually do a free trial uh, for your laptop right there from our website. And you'll see it takes literally probably all of about maybe a minute to install the intelligence to get tied in and you get to see how simple it actually is to protect the laptop. And that's just as simple for protecting virtual machines, be it on-prem or in the cloud. Uh, and like I say, we've got a number of different ways that we can make that align to whatever your recovery point and recovery time objectives are for your data center. Um, the other way of that is, if you were to say, you know what, love the idea of SaaS, but we've got a really strong IT team. We really wanna manage and drive this ourselves. That's fantastic. In that case, um, we have a number of ways that we can help you implement the solution. Um, the one that most customers choose nowadays are sort of our, our converged appliances that we call Hyperscale X. And that brings together all of our software, all of the intelligence of how data is being uh, you know, maneuvered, as well as the storage and networking that's required in an appliance that gets basically shipped to your data center, rack and stack, plug it in, and about 30 minutes later, you're ready to then start doing backups of the uh, uh, of the uh, um, applications or virtual machines or laptops in your in your data center, and before you know it, you have everything protected, and that can be really straightforward and simple, uh, and that will probably cover 80%, maybe 90% of your enterprise. And then beyond that, when you start to get really complex data challenges, complex environments, then that's when we can work with you on you know some of those personalized solutions and helping you customize the orchestration and automation components to tap into whatever is necessary. So those are really the two interesting options. We find a lot of customers are starting to look more and more towards that SaaS-based offering versus trying to bring on more solutions and more infrastructure on-prem. Okay, so, so basically I install a piece of software and or use the hardware piece and or you connect my cloud service accounts and then you guys are monitoring all of that and if my laptop dies or something and i get a new one i just restore from backup and and kind of keep going and and reconnect to what i just outlined is that like a simplified version of what you're talking about it's a yeah it, very simplified version of what we just discussed and absolutely right so if you were to if you were to run a backup whether it be on-prem you know through our software solution the Commvault software solution or whether you're using metallic yeah. If that laptop goes sideways or say you lose a virtual machine or you need to do a refresh for a dev and test environment, um, it's basically a point and click and tell the system to restore either to the new laptop or to the new virtual machine location or in the cloud. And we take care of that for you. Awesome. Okay. So then how are you guys monitoring my cloud services outside of what you guys provide, like my OneDrive or, or whatnot? So from a, like from a OneDrive perspective, that's all about um, our uh, uh, Microsoft 365 support, right? So okay, yeah. 
So what ends up happening is um, we, we, pay, we ask our customers to pay per user. That's the way the subscription licensing for that solution works. Okay. And what ends up happening is once we register your uh, Microsoft account for you know, the Microsoft 365 yep. and we have the users, as you know, all of those components are linked to that user. So right. we're able to protect OneDrive. We're able to protect your email, um, even the archives or the undeleted, you know, the uh, the uh, recoverable items folder. All that is all that is protected. We're also for, and this is really important in today's, you know, sort of uh, collaboration world of, you know, SharePoint online and Teams. I don't know if you use Teams yeah. Uh, yeah, from a Microsoft yeah. perspective, yeah. but it's like Slack. It's like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the different Google. Uh, um, yeah, the, what was that Google Hangouts and some of the other Google Google tools. Yeah. But what what's important there is we can even protect the channels and the files inside of Teams and okay. uh, all the different conversations because it's amazing if one team gets deleted right. and you lose those files that can bring an entire department to a grinding halt, right? Sure. Um, so that's really how we help manage that is we use the internal in intelligence that the uh, solution already has. And then we have built in the way that we have the elegant tie-ins to these applications to ensure then that we're protecting your OneDrive, that we have your mail protected. And that just becomes a part of then the SLA of how you drive the data protection for that part of the environment. No, okay, that makes total sense. And I'm assuming that I can have these backups happen automatically, kind of on demand. Um, like, how does that kind of work? Yeah, so the way that it works is when you define your recovery point objective, so how frequently you know you, you want to be able to uh, roll back yeah. um, from a point in time, that will then help us define the schedule. So okay. we use a lot of machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms in the background in analyzing the environment. So after we've been implemented, um, you know, we'll run some schedules and get some things kicking off and running. After about 10 to 14 days of, of continual you know, execution of those backup jobs, yeah. um, the machine learning algorithm will start to take control and ensure that we're running backups as frequently as necessary to meet the, the, RPO, the RPO points, ah. and, uh, but doing it without necessarily you know, overloading the system, right? So if you want to have a recovery point of every 12 hours, then we'll ensure that we're we're making those schedules run and then we'll we'll optimize it on the fly for every 12 hours, right? Right. And but then so if my computer's sleeping during one of those 12 hours, does it run still run like wake the computer up and do it in the background or how does that work? Yeah, I mean if the if the PC is off, yeah, um, obviously then obviously nothing's going to happen. It, it will just it will basically want to kick on and uh it will try to run a job the next time that it's powered on. Right. Um, in the in the in the laptop space, you have to realize this is you know, this is where the nuance of, uh, of IT gets interesting, right? Totally. In the data center, things are always on, right? For the most part, right? For an end user, your laptop can be powered off. Sure. So that's where we've done interesting little features like the continuous protection of the laptop. Okay. Um, and that's usually something that's turned on by default nowadays. Um, but in that scenario, what it basically means is when your laptop is running and you save a file. We'll track those file changes, and then in the background, just automatically protect them. Uh, you know, basically do very small backup jobs to ensure it. they're always protected. That way, if you power the laptop off, um, or you're disconnected from the network, and you do a lot of a lot of changes, you're not now suddenly trying to force a whole lot of information to the network. Uh, and we also meter it in a way where it's kind of like you know background service, just doing an up like a Windows update in the background, doing that over time. Got you. Okay, so even if I'm offline, you're tracking my changes, and then when I reconnect to the internet, it'll it'll kind of upload those changes kind of slowly in the background. Yep, that's that's the beauty of having a little bit of intelligence put within yeah. the lap the actual um, uh, laptop. So like in a Windows world, right? There's there's change journal logs that are occurring all the time on what right. files you're updating, and if that maps back to content that we're protecting for you, obviously we we keep that running index even though you might be disconnected from the mothership, so to speak, right? Right. And then once your network connectivity hits back, boom, we'll we'll scan and, and see all those changes and a part of our process for then you know protecting those files. We'll understand what we have to synchronize and it's off and running. Got it. Okay. So how does that does this same process apply to um say the Mac or iOS and Android and the and iPad OS? I, I know you could probably do more on Android than you can 
with some of the Apple stuff or, or what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, so when we're talking protection of phones and iPads, um, for the most part, there's not a whole lot that we really necessarily do on that front. Okay. Um, primarily because the data that's getting created there, uh, and this is different in some scenarios, uh, but most of that data, if it's especially from an enterprise perspective, um, you know, that's being written or managed or maintained through some of the uh, uh, the device management uh, solutions that will then right. store that data and have it synchronized from a security aspect, right? Yeah, so it's getting, it's just not, you're not syncing my iPad to the cloud. I'm pulling data from the cloud that's already being backed up by you guys, correct? Essentially, yep, that's yeah, the way okay. to think of it. Okay. Yep. But yes, yeah, so the same sort of idea works for Mac OS and then of course for any of the enterprise systems that you would think about from virtual machines to file servers to, to network attached storage devices um, to uh, you know any of the newfangled technology in, in containers, Kubernetes, uh, you know, you name it, we've got the the industry's broadest um, support for what enterprises run. It's one of the one of the key differentiators that we offer to customers, not only in providing a simple solution, but also giving the broadest uh, uh, level of support. Because uh, we still we still have customers that run old versions of Windows, AIX, even some Sun Solaris out there, wow. um, and uh, you know they still need that data protected because they can't turn that solution off just yet. No, that that makes sense. So you just moved into a new role. Let's talk about that. What is what is your new role? Because I'm actually really fascinated by it. Yeah. So I guess you know I don't think we ever went through my. Not that we want to spend the entire time talking about what the uh, uh, sort of the uh, the the career path at Commvault has been, but it's sure. one of the great things of working here in that I've had a chance to reinvent myself as the company has grown as well. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So it's almost like you know, it's almost like you know, I've been at a company for almost twenty years, but in reality, it's not like I've been stale in those twenty years. You look across my career, and it's been a lot of cool changes that have happened, right? So, so maybe so, give us some highlights along the way then, and then we'll dive yeah. into your new role. So I, when I started at Commvault, I was essentially a, a pre-sales and consulting engineer. So that, as I said before, that's I would sell to, to a customer one week and then implement it at that same customer the next, right? Sure. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And then yeah. as the company grew, um, obviously we brought on more people. Um, I went into a district manager role for SEs, for sales engineers. So still a sales engineer or a systems engineer is essentially the technical seller, right? The person that can help you build the solutions and solve your problems with our technology and explain how it's going to work um, and what the outcomes will look like. Right. So I started to run a, a small team out of Illinois across 13 states um, and did that for a couple of years. And then in uh, basically uh, mid 2008, our CTO, who was the uh, um, who was basically creating a new product management team, uh, had given me a, gave, gave me a quick call and asked me to help him create this product management team. So that was cool, right? That was fun. Sure. Ended up doing product management in which uh, we created a number of really cool and differentiated things in the product today. You know, one of them being IntelliSnap, uh, which is just the way that we integrate with snapshot engines and storage arrays. That That's probably a whole nother conversation for another time. Um, but ended up running product management for basically the, the, the largest part of our, our product for background recovery um, for a good uh, good four, actually, let's see, it's about six years. Okay. Um, and then, then my that same CTO or VP of products at that point asked me to help kickstart our technical alliances because we'd never really built a technical alliance team. Okay. Uh, so we got that put in place. Uh, then I made the interesting left turn and joined our CMO, um, who was at the time was Chris Powell. He was looking for someone to help kick off and kind of build a solutions and product marketing team. Okay. Um, so I knew the product. I could write fairly well. I enjoyed doing presentations. I enjoyed, you know, creating content. Uh, so I, I basically took on that role. Did that for a number of uh, of years. I think almost five years, and then uh, have been kind of working in. Um, did some mergers and acquisitions work uh, with the Hedvig solution we acquired, and then I've been working with our field SEs, uh, and now of course the uh, the head of our uh, productivity and evangelism team. So that last role, which is the most recent one is essentially because of my history and sort of the way that I guess I have I've built my career, um, our uh, CRO, our chief revenue officer had said, look, you know, we'd really like you to take over the enablement team and turn it into the next generation uh, of, uh, you know, productivity and evangelism that this company needs to grow as we continue to transform into SaaS, et cetera. And so the challenge sounded 
very interesting because it's all about ensuring that you know our sales engineers our account executives our partners our partner account executives their sales engineers our professional services folks and even our customers that they're all getting the level of understanding and awareness of what our product does but then that we're also then making sure that you know our new sales reps new SEs understand how the product works and also have the skills and tools to not only improve their career but be super successful here with Commvault same thing from a customer perspective that when they buy a solution that they have the right online training they have the right documentation they have the right resources and community aspects to ensure that they're successful from day one after they make that purchase so it's a super exciting role it's definitely challenging lots of uh lots of things to definitely do still to get us to that point where you know best in class in this new transform transform transformative sort of area of of uh you know company productivity but I think I'm up to the challenge. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's really great, man. Congrats on that. Thank you. So I'm curious because you've had to maybe reinvent yourself is probably the wrong word for it, but you've had to obviously, as things have changed in the industry, you, you basically had to, you know, learn, stay current and learn new things and, and be on top of all this stuff and adapt. How have you kind of managed that? And, and kind of decided where to take your career because it's it can be really hard to manage your own career. Do you know what I'm getting at? Oh, it can be, yeah. Um, and, and so like in my LinkedIn, I actually, uh, I talk about how I'm a student of the game. Um, and maybe that's kind of how I've done it is I, I okay. look at everything that, that, you know, in my career and what we do in tech, it's kind of a game. At the end of the day right there's yep. rules there's boundaries um there's there's ways you can hack the game so to speak in your favor um and so i guess as, I, as i've grown i've I, first off i've always had some form of a mentor um okay. i i can't i can't uh uh say how important i think that is in in a career and helping to kind of map what you want to do or where you want to go is always having someone there and they don't have to necessarily be more senior but someone there that's mentoring you in just your thought processes and what you like to do, what excites you, where your passion lies. Because um, one of the, probably the biggest things I learned very early on in my career is, you know, if, if you're not passionate about something, then are you really going to uh, uh, truly enjoy it, right? And are you really going to constantly be be uh, you know doing the things that make you happy day in and day out, or is it just going to be a job? Uh, and so I can tell you, I've come to love what I do in tech because I'm always following my passion. And if I know there's a big passion for what the next challenge is in front of me, then I'll be successful because, you know, if I have the passion, then I'll, I'll put the energy and we'll, I'll figure out whether it means I have to read, whether it means I have to, uh, you know, maybe bring on a, a third party consultant, hire folks around me that know more about the topic and what we're trying to achieve than maybe I do. Um, and then at that point, it becomes more about leadership and, and helping all these great ideas mesh into a strategy. But at the end of the day, if you have a mentor and you follow your passion, then navigating your career and going and doing what you want and, and having fun and enjoying it, as long as you're, you're, in, the, you're in that passion zone, so to speak, it almost comes along, uh, along with the, with the uh, I don't want to say along with the ride, but comes along with the, uh, with the acumen, right? There's always going to be things you have to read. There's always going to be books. Um, you're always going to find people that are smarter in the topics. And when you do listen, right, there's no need to ever be the smartest person in the, in the room. It's all about hearing what others can, can kind of give back to you uh, and learning from that. So I think that's kind of how I've navigated my career, you know, is the challenge exciting? Does it fall on my passion? Uh, and, you know, more importantly, you know, am I going to have fun doing it? Uh, and usually that all coincides with do you know do i know everything about it if not then i'm probably going to have fun doing it because it means i'll be learning right sure no i i think it's interesting that you say that because i feel like i'm the exact same way is for me it's obviously passion but if i'm constantly learning i'm happy doing what i'm doing and if i'm not i am ready to move on oh, whether yeah. it's within the company or without you know to a new company or or just changing up what i'm doing so no i i totally get that i, I think and on that same front, I, I always say to people, um, you know, when, when we're looking at hiring candidates for roles, you know, experience, throw experience out the window. Um, and I'm not saying it's not important because it is, sure. but I'll take the person that is super passionate, 
um, and, uh, you know, and excited than the person that has maybe very little passion, but has the experience, you know, the experience of, of a, uh, of a, you know, seasoned professional, because you can teach and train and bring people up to speed and experience. In some cases, they find new ways that innovative ways that may be that, you know, they get the job done in ways that other folks haven't, totally. uh, but it's that passion that really drives them. And, and that's almost, almost always the most important aspect. No, I actually think that's that's really good advice because you're right. You can, it, it's easy to just, well, this guy's got 10 years of experience. We're going to hire them. It's like, well, maybe if they're a good fit, sure. But if, you know, you could just tell, right? If somebody's yeah. just there for a, a job or, and I think in technology, I, I get that having a work-life balance sometimes is very tricky. <laughs> and sometimes I think we're good at it. And other days I think I'm terrible at it. So <laughs> Um, if you figured that one out, let me know. I want to listen to your self-help book. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I think if anybody figures that out, but, but I'm curious on, on almost on that point though, like how do you kind of stay on top of things, um, try to have some sort of work-life balance and, and also still be passionate and still kind of, you know, move up the, the ladder in your career because all those things are very challenging. Yeah, so well, I think one of the first and most important things, um, and, uh, and this is actually advice from a previous mentor. Okay. And, um, you know, it's number one is you, you need to make sure you're always reading, right? Reading and learning. Right. Um, it's amazing how just by, by reading certain maybe analyst articles or, you know, Harvard Business Review every now and then, um, going through, you know, different, uh, uh, even different tech manuals every now and then, right, in technology. It's amazing the stats and the perspective it gives. Sure. Um, and, and oftentimes, that, those stats and perspective, if you can have some of those things stored away, like we've all been sitting in a, in a meeting and people are asking for different opinions and you hear the I thanks and I believe and I feel, but then when you can hit someone with data, yeah, then suddenly the whole thing changes. So being data-driven um, definitely helps. And using that almost as a uh, a core fundamental as to you know how you kind of shape decisions and shape ideas. I mean, your gut is important, your your feelings, emotions, what you think is important, but data is sort of that. Uh, and I know it's probably cliche at this point, but it it really does help to kind of drive and 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 help you kind of move upward from a from a career perspective if you're always data driven. Because um, people are always asking how you're going to metric that, how you're going to prove success. That's all data. Uh, so reading. Having some of that information to form your opinions, shape your opinions, um, and I think also not being steadfast in your opinions. Um, I've had many people change my mind uh, right. and change it for the better because ultimately I'm not the smartest person, uh, and <laughs> there's always people that know more about things than I do. So that's always been a big thing to me is is uh, you know sitting back and 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 listening and making sure I, I hear multiple perspectives. So. That's part of what I, I think I've done to really help drive my career. Um, the other thing is, is again, is, is there's a level of tenacity. Uh, and, and maybe that has a, a bit of a, a, a weird uh, um, maybe side meeting when you say, you know, tenacious or tenacity. You know, it might have a bit of a, an aggressive tone to it. But really, um, maybe this is a better way to put it is professionally persistent, right? Sure. Um, being professionally persistent or just being persistent to ensure that you see things through uh, kind of goes back to the integrity piece. You know, if if you say you if you say that your software or technology can do something, then make sure it does it. If you yeah. tell somebody that you're going to do something, um, then then make sure you do it. Um, and there's a number of times over my career where I can remember you're always in those you know, you've got those hairy situations cropping up where it's a deadline or maybe it's a an event coming up and you know the leader is not quite sure if it's going to get done yeah um and uh the ability to turn to them and say hey we've got this as a team right and then go and, and then and then doing the sort of the breakdown like realize okay i just told that we i told the uh, leader we've got this i know right now we don't have this let's figure out how we're going to how we're going to get this done it's sort of those scenarios that really help you start to handle stress, also organize your thoughts and make sure that you're keeping the most important aspects in line. And it be, it's, it's amazing. It's those times of pressure 
that will also help you start to realize what's actually important, uh, yeah. when to dis, you know, discard complexity, and when to strive for simplicity. Um, and those are just some of the things that, that I've seen in, in, in my execution. One tip I'll give everyone, um, this is another mentor that told me this, said, look, um, you probably get about 2,000 emails a day, right? Sure. I'm yeah. sure we're all nodding our heads. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't have to answer or look at all 2,000. Um, in fact, the ones that are important, you're going to see again. So don't feel bad if you miss an email or you miss a string or you forgot something, because if you forgot it, chances are you'll have a phone call or you'll have an IM or you'll have another email asking and reminding you about that same thing, because the important topics somehow will always find a way to bubble themselves to the top. The challenge, of course, will be managing your time and that sort of personal, how do I keep my own head straight versus all of the asks from the business, that's the challenging aspect. That's the, you know, the work-life balance, the, the personal work balance of uh, doing the things that are important to you as well as doing the things that are important to the company. That can be the challenge. No, I, I actually think that's really good advice. But sadly, we're coming to the end of the show so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Commvault, and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, for sure. So you can uh, absolutely check, check me out on LinkedIn, um, uh, Donald Foster or Don Foster with Commvault. Um, by all means, follow me there. I do, I do uh, some postings and whatnot there every once in a while. Uh, Commvault.com, I do blog on Commvault.com fairly free, frequently. Um, that's also a place you can find out more about the company and the software we offer and uh, the capabilities built within. Um, also, I mentioned metallic.io earlier. That is the website for our SaaS offering, which is built off the same technology that Commvault is built from, right? It's just a, a different uh, branch of the same code tree that's right. you know, being developed and driven specifically for SaaS. So those are probably the three key things that you can go check out. I am on Twitter every once in a while. Um, but it's probably more business stuff than it is uh, anything personal. So probably not that important to necessarily follow me there. But if you want to, by all means, please do. I'm probably more active on LinkedIn. And of course, I, I do a lot of my blogging and whatnot through there as well. Very cool. And Commvault is with two M's, not yeah. one. Just for yeah, people. correct. Yes. <laughs> well, well, Don, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for the great conversation, Kevin. It was, it's been fun. You as well. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>